listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Ushers are coming forward with Bibles in their hand. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in your hand, please raise your hand and you can take that and you can follow along with us. And if you don't have a Bible... At, um, at your home, that is our gift to you. Please take that and read it and allow God's word to do a work in your life as you do that. And just, I love hearing stories. Heard of one just, um, just this past week of, uh, of a man just taking the word of God. He was in jail, he was in prison, and he started in the book of Genesis and, in, and, and finished in the book of Revelation. And somewhere in there is God, God got hold of him and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is happening over and over and over again because God's word transforms, amen? And so would it transform us as we are here in Matthew chapter 5? We are near the end of Matthew 5, and if you are counting, I'm, I'm sure that maybe some of you might be, and, and maybe you would correct me, but I believe we are on sermon or message number 15 from this chapter alone, and, and I, I thought it was going to end today, but this morning, early, it changed, and it, well, Lord willing, will end next Sunday, and, and then the following week, again, Lord willing, it will go into Matthew chapter 6, and so it'll be 16 messages out of one chapter in the Word of God, and today we're going to cover five verses, and some weeks earlier on in, in June when we started this, we took just one verse, and we just took time of the Beatitudes, and just, just, just took time in the Word of God in this way, because after all, this is the great a sermon that's been ever preached. It was preached by Jesus Christ, our Lord, and so we need to examine it, we need to take it, and we need to see what he is saying in light of, of his word and what he is, the message he's wanting to, for us to be able to listen and then to take and apply to our lives. So it is about transformation, and what he's doing in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse, and, and, and to chapter 6 as well as chapter 7 is he is, is showing us and calling us to what a citizen of his looks like. What does life in the kingdom look like to be a, a child of his and what that looks like in our everyday life, in our interactions, in our spiritual life, in our journey, in our relationship with God, but our relationship with others, the relationship with those we love and those that are very hard to love. And so Jesus is outlining how we are to live and how we are to function until he, he returns. And this is something that has stood for 2,000 years and it will continue on. And so we are working line after line through this sermon and, and, and uh, not just wanting to be informed, but to be transformed by it. And, and some of the verses that we're going to look at today and then again next week, it's going to flatten us. It's going to destroy us by what Jesus says that how we are to live. You're going to say, you have got to be kidding. In fact, if somebody else wrote it, and if it wasn't in the word of God, you would just laugh it off and say, that's not possible, there's no way. But this is Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, telling us, walk this way. This is the way that we are to live. And these last five verses, and then by the time you get down to the last verse of chapter 5, where well, we're not going to go today, but you may want to uh, be intrigued. So, Ooh, what does that last? What does verse 48 say? It's impossible. Absolutely impossible on our own. Absolutely impossible, but we'll see next week uh, what, how, how, what Jesus was getting at when he called us to a life of perfection. But we've all faced in our lives, or are facing currently, or guaranteed we'll face one day those impossible situations 
in dealing with difficult people. Any of you have some difficult people in your life, even right now, that you're, you're, you're working with, and are you sitting next to them? Uh, you can read, okay, no one's going to be that honest, and, 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 and that's maybe a good thing at this point, but the Lord knows, the Lord knows that sort of thing. But that person who just seems to just grind your gears, you know, and that person who just, they just seem to have it in for us. They, it just seems that their life mission, their life goal is to make life miserable for us. You ever have anyone like that? You have someone like that? You can think of someone right now? Well, well, keep thinking about that person because it's going to get very personal and it's going to get very real in a few moments. That person who maybe mocks us or insults us, picks you apart constantly and can never say an encouraging word. And they're just ripping you apart and sometimes it's their silence that even hurts more than anything. Maybe it was the betrayal of a family member, a friend, a spouse, a child. Or maybe that business partner who you were working so hard and you were giving it all and then they gave you the shaft. You have those people that just make life miserable and you wonder, what do I do? Maybe it was that church experience. People who are in leadership or people in the congregation, in your small group, in the ministry you served and it just went badly. If we're not careful, if we don't get a hold of this, folks, the, the burdens and the bitterness and the unforgiveness, vengeful feelings, hatred, can follow us for the rest of our lives and we say, well, time heals, time heals. Time heals nothing. We just suppress it. We put it in the sand. But eventually it shows its head. It comes to life once again and it reveals itself. And Jesus is telling us here a way to live a life free and from above those kind of onslaughts and those kind of difficulties that come. All the while when we're walking in these kind of feelings and these kind of thoughts and dealing with difficult people, we wonder, where's the joy in the Christian life? Where's the joy? Where's the victory? And it's because we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on revenge, on getting evil, on defending ourselves and fighting back. But today we're going to see how do we respond to injustice when injustice comes our way? How do we respond to insults? How do we respond to people who just keep giving it to us and, and, and there just seems like there's no reprieve. It just kind of keeps going. You say, you know what? I don't have anyone in my life like that. Well, just wait. It'll happen. It'll come. And Jesus tells us how to handle, how to act, how to react, how to rise above our challenges and the circumstances we face so we can walk in his power, in his joy, and in his victory. And know his peace in the midst of even the most difficult of situations. And yet what he calls us to and, and his remedy for this, his answer seems absolutely impossible. And it is impossible. However, the fact that Jesus gives us these instructions and commands us to live in a certain way must mean that he has some faith in us. He believes that it is possible to rise above these circumstances. Jesus has faith in you. Not in your own power, not in your own strength, but through our weakness and through our calling out to him and receiving his strength and his power in our life, we can receive his victory and we can experience help and hope in and through this. And so today we're going to look at, at verses 38 to 42. And, and today and then next week, as, as next week will be the part two to this, it, it, um, to this message now series called Mission Possible. 
But the, we're going to answer one question today and one next week, and here are the, these two questions. How do we respond to wrongdoing and injustice? That's what we're going to look at today. How do we respond? How does Jesus call us to respond to wrongdoing and injustice? And then next week, how do we live a love? How do we love others without limits? How is this even possible? So let's pick it up in verse 38. How do we respond to wrongdoing and injustice around us? Verse 38. You have heard it said, you heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would, would, sure, would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, upon first read of this, and one might think, man, this is calling me not to be a disciple. This is calling me to be a doormat. <laughs> Being a doormat for Jesus, how wonderful is that? And it's interesting, isn't it, as you read this, as this was read out to you, that so many of these phrases are still used today. Now, a lot of them are misused, but some of them are, are correct in how we use them. In fact, I saw a TV show recently, and I believe even the episode was called An Eye for an Eye. We hear that, don't we? You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You do something to me, I'll do it right back to you. Or we hear someone sometimes say, well, that was certainly a slap on the, on the face or on the cheek, yeah. Or, um, or we also hear, are you willing to go the what mile? Willing to go the extra mile or the second mile? These statements, they originate not from some wise philosopher, some earthly person. From an earthly person they came from, but also from a heavenly person. It comes from the word of God. These are truths that, that God has given to us in his word. And so in verse 38, it says, you have heard that it was said. Now, what Jesus was saying in, in this next statement, he's saying, this has been, passed to you, has been passed down to you. In fact, he was quoting an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was actually from the Old Testament. Write down these passages. You can read them in their entirety this week. Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. This was part of the judicial system that God had set up for his people, that had God had given to ensure that there was justice and fairness for all of the people. And so the, this was the rules that judges and priests and, and, and also involved witnesses through their court system and through their trials to make sure that there was due process that was taking place, to make sure that crimes and wrongdoing wouldn't go unpunished, but also to make sure that what someone was doing, the punishment they received was actually a fair punishment and wasn't an over-the-top kind of punishment. However, by the time that in Jesus' day here in Palestine, the people had taken and twisted the word, and they were taking and, and turning justice and, and, and bringing it into their own hands, and they were exacting revenge and retaliation on their own. And so if somebody would do something to you, you could do it right back to them. After all, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was almost like a vigilante justice system that they were living with. But now Jesus comes and he shows a whole new way. He shows a new way of living. And he says, do not resist the one who is evil. He's saying, don't, don't go into a fight with someone who is evil. 
And he says, now I have to say to you, now I have to say, he says to us, some very important words. And, and just to be clear, this, this does not mean that we allow injustice to go unpunished. When a crime has been committed, it must be followed through with. This does not mean that we do not defend ourselves when attacked. Some people have taken this verse literally and, and this passage in here to basically mean that if somebody confronts you out on a street and starts to beat the living daylights out of you, you just let them finish. There are some who will even watch as their wife or their child is abused or is beaten and they are just believe that they are following the word of God in this way. Folks, this is not a call towards pacifism. This is, these verses have a very important meaning and, and teaching for us. And folks, if there's a physical assault towards you or a family member, you just don't let them punch away. It doesn't mean that you are a punching bag to be beat up by someone. This is not an absolute prohibition against the use of all force. At times, force needs to be used to physically protect ourselves, but ultimately to use the police and the court system that we have. God's word is very clear in Romans 13. You can go ahead and read that, that God has given us the institutions. He's given us authorities. It, and we are to use them and we are to follow them. There's a justice system. We have police that we are to use for our protection and for the guilty to be unpunished. But maybe I know some of you are already thinking though, yeah, but our justice system isn't fair. Our police might be corrupt. And we hear those accusations. We, we see these kind of things. And, and maybe not so much in Canada, but we may hear that and we see that in other countries. And you say it's not fair. A couple months ago, I had a friend call me from Alberta, uh, an old friend of mine, and he was livid. He was saying, you're the fourth person I called. No one was picking up the phone, and thank you for answering. And I'm like, what's going on? And he says, I'm mad. I am so mad, and I'm about ready to do something that I may regret, but I feel like I'm ready to do it. I said, what happened? Hold it, hold it, hold it. What's going on? And he said, a dear friend of mine, one of his family members was just brutally assaulted by a man terribly assaulted and she knows who he was but the police aren't sure if there's enough evidence to charge him and I know where he is and I know where he's, he's living and I want to go over there and I want to settle the score I want to make sure that justice is done and sometimes we can feel that way and sometimes we want to take that kind of vigilante justice upon ourselves when people who we love are hurt and we know that maybe they will not be punished when laws have been broken, when there is abuse, when there is a violence, when there's assault that's taking a place, when there's illegal activities, we are never to stay silent. We are to report it. Where there's abuse, it needs to stop and it needs to be reported. Never are we, though, to take the law into our own hands. God's word is clear in that. You say, but it's not fair. People are getting away with it. We have to come to know and to believe God that he is a God who is just. And that one day the books will be open and justice, true justice, ultimate justice will prevail. And the rights or the wrongs will be righted. The truth will come out. It will be exposed. The liar, the fraudster, it will all be revealed one day. But this is all very humbling to know that everything that we have done will also be exposed. And that is why we live in humility before God. 
in repentance and forgiveness that our sins would be covered, that we would be cleansed by his blood on a regular basis. And so, folks, we don't take justice into our own hands. We allow God to have the final say. But people in Jesus' day, they were taking the law into their own hands and, and they were exacting their own revenge and retaliation, applying punishments that they thought were fitting and oftentimes were way too harsh. And so here in chapter 5, Jesus reveals a counterintuitive, uh, a countercultural standard on how we're to respond to injustice, to personal offenses when they happen. So how do we respond to wrongdoing and injustice? Well, I encourage you to write this down as we work through these next few verses. First of all, we respond with a heart of love and self-control when we're insulted. When we're insulted, we respond with a heart of love, and you're going to keep seeing this over and over again. We respond with a heart of love. We respond with a heart of love. We respond with a heart of love. With a heart of love and dot, 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 and, we'll, and, and in verse 39, we see with self-control when we are insulted. Look at it says in verse 39, and it says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, a slap in the face, what they were meaning here, I mean, the way that they would fight back then, I mean, Trevor, come over here for a second. If you can come here, I need to meet you down front here. If, now, if Trevor and I were to, you know, kind of have a disagreement and, and, uh, and that, uh, we wouldn't, like, come over here. Don't be scared. I mean, come into the light. Come into the light. You know, I mean, we wouldn't have, I mean, what guys fight like this, right? You know, you can go ahead and you can slap me. I mean, Go ahead. No, no. You don't want to? <laughs> I know better. He knows better. Well, how are we going to fight? We're going to fight with, with clothes, clenched fists, and, and, and we're going to just go at it with one another. What they're talking about here, a slap in the face, was something that would often accompany a personal insult. And so because most people back then, like today, were right-handed, when Jesus says here that when you are... What does it say? Somebody go ahead and read that. Who can read it out loud? Good. So when someone slaps you on the right cheek, and so in order to slap someone on the right cheek, this is his right cheek, it means that I have to hit him with this hand, and it's going to be backhanded slap. A backhanded slap was a sign of an ultimate insult. After you've berated a person and have said things about them, you finish it off with a across the face like that. And what does Jesus say to do? He says, turn to them the other cheek. And so it's like this, and then you turn back, and the person comes with a full-handed swat across the face, and he says, just let him finish. Thank you, Trevor, and thanks for not slapping me. And so what Jesus is dealing with more than a fist fight, he's dealing with a literal slap in the face of an insult that comes. And we use that today when someone says something about us and, you know, they, they say something that's untrue or they, they criticize us and we say, well, that was a slap in the face, wasn't it? And so Jesus is saying, if someone's insulting you, let them insult away. But don't you dare slap them back. I heard of a street preacher, I love this story in my reading this week, when uh, one commentary mentioned that a street preacher who uh, was preaching the word of God one day and some guy in the crowd was angry and he came up and he punched the preacher once in the face. And the street preacher, he took it, he punched him again in the face and then he stood there and he took off his jacket and he said, I can now take matters into my own hands, seeing the Lord gives me no further instructions. <laughs> and he attempted to lay a beating on him. 
he, he was reading from, I think it was First Fleshalonians, uh, you know, so, someplace that, that we'll often uh, go to when, when we want to strike back and try to do a biblical um, response to it or, or justification for it. Again, this doesn't mean that we cannot defend ourselves. It doesn't mean that we cannot respond when we're insulted, when we're falsely accused. If there is misinformation or misunderstanding, we are to try to connect, to correct the, and, and defend ourselves with the truth, to set the record straight. But it doesn't mean that we resort to their level of insults. We don't respond back with a slap in the face back to them. We don't stoop to their level of insults. We don't uh, give them what they've given to us. Even Jesus in, in, in John chapter 18, you can write down that reference, John 18, verse 22 and 23. We see that when he was insulted, when he was accused, what did they do? They then, after he was being insulted and given it to verbally, what did he receive? A slap in the face. He was also slapped. And so we see what, was, what, what happened in those days, but we see rather than suffering silently, you look that Jesus even protested the injustice of the beating. Other times through the course of his ministry, he repeatedly withdrew from situations to avoid being the victim of violence. He didn't stand there and become this punching bag for people who were trying to have it out for him. But he didn't respond with insults. He didn't slap them back. Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek. Don't stoop to their level. Don't return insult for insult. Don't fire back. And oh, isn't that hard? I find that hard. I am probably really, really gifted, if it was a spiritual gift, which it isn't, um, at, at, at comebacks, at putting someone in their place. You say something to me, and I'm really good, like especially 10 minutes after someone has said it and I've kind of thought about it. Huh? Any, I think maybe some of you could maybe relate to that. In not firing back, in not treat, giving insult back from insult, it's the way that we are showing that we are part of a different kingdom, that we are wired differently, that there's a change, there's something different in us. You say, but it's so hard. Yes, it's hard. It is impossible on our own, and that's what we're going to see, and that's the point that, that Jesus wants to bring us to. But listen to Romans 12. I encourage you to write down Romans 12, starting in verse 16, where the apostle Paul, he wrote, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Easy to read, hard to live, isn't it? We can't do this on our own. We can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And, and write down 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 23. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who, judge, who judges justly. Oh, may we be like Jesus in that. When we're reviled, when we're insulted, we would revile, we would insult not back. When we're treated unfairly, we wouldn't 
respond in an unfair manner, but that we would continue to entrust ourselves to our God who will one day judge justly. He will one day have the final say. Well, it's not soon enough. Well, we have to be patient because we also see how patient God has been and continues to be with us. So how do we respond to wrongdoing and injustice? With a heart of love and a heart of self-control. But next, the second thing here, I encourage you to write this down, we respond with a heart of love and radical generosity to our adversary. And so it goes on in verse 40, and, and Jesus says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Jesus is using a courtroom example here, which was different than the, uh, the courtrooms that we have here today. But here Jesus is speaking of a person who is coming after you. They're wanting to take advantage of you. They're wanting to take you to the cleaners in one way or another. And Jesus is saying that there are some things that are just not worth fighting for. He says, give. Give more rather than wanting to keep more. It's only stuff. You're right, it's only stuff. It's stuff I've worked hard for, I've saved for, I have, have given myself to, and now I not only have to give this, but he even wants me to give over and above in that way. Don't fight for stuff. He says, put down your rights. Lay them down. But this doesn't come naturally, does it? It only comes supernaturally. This goes so much against our flesh. But in doing this, in telling the audience this, and Jesus in his word telling us today, he's showing them a picture, a snapshot of the overtop generosity that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ. How we are so undeserving. And yet he gives and he gives. We would rather, he would rather, or later on he would say in Matthew 16, in verse 24, he would say, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if you're going to be a follower of mine, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Taking up our cross. That means letting go of our reputation. At times, letting go of our possessions. And yes, it may seem like we are a doormat. But in this, we are showing that we are his disciples. Think of how so demanding we can be of God. We come to him, we pray for him, and we're just asking, and we're, we're asking, 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 and how he gives, and he gives generously to us. Over the years, we've, we've had the privilege of having many people in our home, and, and uh, wherever we've lived, we, we have attracted family and friends and others who have, have stayed uh, sometimes for, for longer stints with us. And, and uh, one of the things, and, and, and Charlotte is a great host, and, and uh, we enjoy having people over to our home, and, and um, one of the things that you will probably hear me say from time to time, uh, if you're in our home and as you're leaving, maybe some of you could finish it off for me and see, see if you have been the victim of this. I'll say, hey, thanks so much for coming. And then what do I say next? Thank you for leaving. leaving. Yes, that's right. And I especially have said it many times to George. And, and you can't tell if I'm joking or if I mean it. You know, when I say it, you know, and, and, and it's just one of these, I mean, silly, dumb pastor things, I guess, that, that I've done. You know, thanks for coming. Some people bless you by their presence. Some people bless you when they leave, you know, th that sort of thing. And, and uh, 
And we've had some very interesting people sometimes stay, for, stay with us for a week or even longer. And, and some of them have just been a joy and a blessing, and some of them have been a true test of our, of our ability to, to show love and to be generous when they are not particularly thankful or, 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 or just are, are maybe a little on the demanding side. And, and when this happened somewhat recently, and, and we were celebrating kind of when the person left and kind of thinking, oh, you know, glad this person is gone and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and just your flesh takes over in that way, right? And, and we don't like to be taken advantage of. And, and, and especially when there's not a lot of thanks and it just seems kind of a lot of demands that, that sometimes can be on you for this. And I'm not talking about my father-in-law. Some of you know my father I'm not talking about him, just so you know. Um, <laughs> anyways... Um, it really hit me, and then I ended up sharing this with our family and saying, you know what, but so oftentimes, isn't this what we do to God? We don't say thanks. We're so demanding. He's given to us so much grace and mercy, unlimited forgiveness, food and shelter, clothing, and, and he blesses us in so many different ways. George in our church, oftentimes when I'll see him on a Sunday, I'll say, George, how are you doing? And, and, and what does he end up saying? Some of you will probably know. Better than I deserve. And it's like, I look at him and say, you're right. You are doing a lot better than you deserve, George, and so am I. Because what do we deserve? And yet he gives to us so freely. And so when people are demanding, when people aren't thankful, when people are difficult, Jesus is saying, show them more generosity. Give to them. Because it is an expression of what God has done to us. Oh, easy to say, hard to do. But we press on. Here's another way that we can respond to wrongdoing and injustice. With a heart of love and willingness to serve even more than we're required. Willingness to serve more than we're required to serve. And it says in verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, Palestine, the area where Jesus was, was preaching this, and for the Jewish people, they were under the rule of, Ro of Rome. And this meant that a Roman soldier who the Jews just despised, they're in our country. They're in our land. And we're supposed to obey them. And the rule of the day, the law was that if a Roman soldier asked you to walk one mile with him in carrying his armor, perhaps bringing along his horse, carrying a bag, he could do it. You would have to drop whatever you were doing. Even if you were going in the opposite direction, you were to then go one mile. He was required one mile, you were able to go with him. And what does Jesus say? He says, show him generosity. You go not just one mile, but you go two miles. Make it two. And Jesus calls for a revolutionary response. I mean, the jaw drop on this when Jesus was proclaiming this, because as soon as he would have started mentioning anything about this, about a Roman soldier, he's like, oh, I can't stand those guys one little bit. And he makes me walk one mile at a time with him. And we turn around after one mile and say, hey, can we go one more? Can we go one more? That would be a response that would make any hardened soldier say, what's with him? Why is this person doing this and doing it generously and, and willingly? But when we go the second mile, we take control of the situation. That first mile, he has control of the situation in making you obey him. But by going the second mile with a willing heart, we have now 
recaptured that and have made this about God's generosity and doing it with this willingness that we and God takes control of that situation. You see, Jesus did not walk one mile with us and for us. He did not walk. He went further than the second mile. He went the third, the fourth, the fifth. He went from heaven to earth. Jesus came to bridge the gap between us and our God. That is unlimited, an unending amount of mileage that he put on doing that. And it continues on his grace that flows freely. And we see in John 13, Jesus just didn't speak it, he lived it. We see how before he was betrayed, the night that he was betrayed, minutes before this, before all of this went down, maybe it was an hour or two actually, Jesus, the Son of God, gets down on his feet, on his knees, and he washes his disciples' feet, a lowly job, a job that was reserved for slaves, for servants, not for the master, not for the leader, not for the rabbi, not for the king of kings, and yet we see his humility in this. And he would wash the feet of those individuals that he would know would deny him, one would betray him, and the others would desert him, and he did it willingly. He was willing to go the first, the second, the third, and the fourth, to eternity and beyond for us. And then finally, the last part of this section, how do we respond to wrongdoing and injustice with the heart of love and sacrifice to those in need? Look what he says, verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, now, now this just doesn't mean that you give and you borrow just to anyone. So you see someone out on the street afterwards today and they ask you for money and you say, oh yeah, here, here, have all my money, take my cards, here's my keys to my my vehicle. This isn't what it means. It just doesn't mean you give someone whatever they want for whatever they ask. If somebody wants money for drugs or for alcohol or for some other sort of addiction or something that, that just isn't a need or a necessity in their life, just don't give it to them. Some people might want to take and quote this verse. Or your child wants their allowance or they are begging you for some money and, and they try to use this verse on you. Give to those who beg. So dad, I'm begging you. And so your child who, you know, just can't pick up with their hands a broom or a shovel or a vacuum or, you know, uh, or, or any of the clothes on the floor of their room, but they can pick up their phones or a video game controller or something like that. And then you can quote the Bible and, and say, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? This isn't just giving freely to anyone who asks. A worker is worth his pay. But what Jesus is saying is when there is a legitimate need, we give with generosity. If somebody needs to borrow something from us and it's a legitimate borrow, we borrow and lend to someone with great generosity, Jesus is raising the bar here. He's raising the bar in all of these things that we look at and, and, and these four, four items, easy to say, hard to do. He's telling us, don't fire back when you're insulted, but instead, love in return. Have a willingness to serve others. Be generous in our generosity. You see, when we're self-centered, which we naturally are, We're tight-fisted. I love the way Pete Unruh, who preached here, and I I believe he even brought it up a number of weeks ago, and he's shared with me numerous times. 
how when a baby comes out, comes out of the womb, they're always, their fists are clenched. And so oftentimes that's the way it is. This is part of our sinful, selfish nature. We're just, we, we, we're tight-fisted. Self-denial and the life of a servant of God's, a disciple is open-handed. We give to others because God has given so freely to us. And so Jesus is getting to the heart of things here. He's showing us that, that we aren't just, we're not here to live for ourselves. We live for a different kingdom. And all of these scenarios, all of these things I've talked about requires great self-control, great wisdom, and prayer. And the good news is, is we have God's word to guide us. Some of you are facing some situations right now and, and it requires wisdom. It requires prayer. It's, it's what does God's word have to say into this? You need to dig into this and you need to dig into other pa passages of scripture. But in James chapter 1, verse 5, the word of God says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And so in dealing with these, it, this person who is difficult in your life, you pray and say, oh God, give me the wisdom to know how to handle this situation. And all throughout the things we've just talked about. We pray, we seek God, we look to his word, we seek godly counsel, godly advice. Oh, we need brothers and sisters in, in God who aren't just going to have a listening ear, but are going to point us to the word of God. Here's, what God's, here's not what I just think, here's what God's word says. And go to the bank on that. And so, as we close things up here in just a few moments, as we look at these verses, you might be thinking, how is this possible? How do we live like this? How can we engage like this? When, when someone's coming for me, when they want a piece of me, when they want to take advantage of me, when they're insulting me, I'm just supposed to keep giving more and more? Folks, we always have to keep looking and wondering, who's our king? You see, each one of us, we're going to live and we're going to look like the king that we're following. Either the king of this world, Satan, who will one day be bound? Or do we look like King Jesus who reigns with ultimate authority and wisdom, with love and generosity? We respond in a way that honors and reflects King Jesus. It's the only response for us as his followers. And we can only do it, however, though, just not by trying harder and being more disciplined and saying, okay, I'm just going to try, I'm going to try. No, we can't do it. It's only possible if there's been a life-altering experience that we've had with Jesus Christ. When we have come to the point where we understand what Christ has done for us, how he has provided for us his righteousness, for our unrighteousness, how we could never earn we can never achieve, we can never work for, his, for our salvation, for our forgiveness. It's all available because of his sacrifice. Every sin that's piled up in our account can be deleted as we confess our sins, as we repent. And that account has been replaced with his righteousness. And that through his death and through his resurrection, we then have the power and we have the, the, the available victory to live a life of love, of self-control, of generosity, even to those people making life miserable. So I wonder today, to whom or to what circumstance do we need to apply God's grace in our lives? Oh, that we would lose that shallow love that we have, that we see in the world, 
and love people with the love of God. So oftentimes in our world, I'll love you if, I'll respond cordially if, I'll give to you if you give back to me. No, no strings attached because that's what our God has done for us. That's that love that Jesus showed to us on the cross. Would we be willing to live that out even in the tough and the difficult circumstances in life? And this is where we need one another to pray with us. I encourage you in your groups this, this next week with brothers and sisters that you meet with that you talk about this and say, hey, what difficult situation am I facing right now that I need your prayer, I need your wisdom, need some accountability, you need brothers and sisters walking with you. Let's pray together. Ask the band to come up. God, we recognize your word is tough. It's difficult, in fact. In the flesh and on our own, this is impossible, what we've talked about. To not return an insult for an insult. To be generous to those who are taking advantage of us. And God, I even pray that even we would see that's the whole point of this sermon, that we need an outside righteousness. We need help that is greater than anything in this world, and that help is available through you. Folks, I just believe that even right now, you're facing all of us, real people, real situations. And some of these, it's been going on for a really long time. And there's a lot of real bitterness. There's a lot of real resentment there. I encourage you to call out to God for help. To give you his strength, his power, to be able to rise above these circumstances and in supernatural ways show love and generosity and forgiveness. And watch the joy return. Watch God's power and God's peace in the midst of it all, knowing that our God will graciously provide and he will meet our every need. Oh, would we be walking in the way of God, in the will of God, in the word of God. And so God, I pray that even now you would take whatever it is, that obstacle, that person, that situation, and we would just be able to release it to you. We would surrender it at the foot of the cross today. And we would let go. And we would allow you to do your work in us and through us. And even in the life of that person, in your time and in your way. Because you are good. You are faithful. And would we be satisfied, even in our declaration and then in our living, that you are enough. That we are going to follow you. No turning back. No matter what we're facing, we're going to keep our eyes fixed on you. We're going to keep our feet entrenched at the foot of the cross in surrender. And when we surrender, that's where we find real life and real help and your power to strengthen and to empower us to live above these circumstances and to respond as you would want us to respond. Would you be glorified in this? Let's stand together in worship.